All right, glad you're with us. And write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. We've got the latest, the president, the showdown, Iran. And I am stunned at how people don't understand this guy when he's the single most transparent president in modern times. I don't, they just they purposely don't want to understand him. Uh, we'll get to that. Oh, we have a preview of coming attractions with the big, insane Democratic debate this week. It's going to get entertaining if what happened down in South Carolina is any um, indication of where things are headed. I mean, the presidential candidates are going absolutely nuts. I mean, you know, I got the statistics, for example, on uh, what do you call Mayor Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And he has an atrocious track record. And we're going to play you what was said to him over the weekend. And I got to tell you, it really was awful. And then you look at everything else and what the people in the community think of this guy. And they hate him. How hey, I don't even see him winning South Bend if he runs for dog catcher at this point. Because his record is so atrocious. Uh, the president is giving, well, one more last chance. A, a two-week window as requested by the Democrats to see if they can work out a deal on immigration. Don't hold your breath is my prediction. He's already offered all of these things. They're saying, wait, please, please, we need two more weeks. All right, I'll give it to you. Well, he already put issues like DACA, Dreamers, on the table to the same people that now call walls immoral, but they weren't immoral in Obama's second term. Uh, They were paying for them in Obama's second term. They supported them in Obama's second term. Now they're talking about knocking them down like Robert Francis Bozo O'Rourke. I mean, you cannot get more loony than what this this left-wing field, this Democratic, extreme, radical, socialist uh, party has become. And it's getting worse by the second. Um, I want to start quickly with uh, what's the latest with Iran and how people do not people. Donald Trump is not complicated. He's not. I mean, you know, there was a great inventor. Forget his name. Once said about inventors. I actually know two inventors, believe it or not. Years ago, I used to go to this invention convention. And people come up with the craziest but really smart things. But the guy said about inventors that, you know, the obvious is that which is often unseen until somebody expresses it clearly. In other words, a great invention is always right in front of your eyes. And you say, well, why didn't I think of that? You know, I've had people on the show that say something, oh, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I say that? Um, that's what inventors do. They, they see the obvious. They see things. They see a need. They fulfill a need. Goods and services. People want, need, and desire. I mean, whoever designed the dishwasher or the, the clothes washer, think back to the days, you know, and there are people in many countries today, they don't have washing machines. And you can see people, they, they, they'll, they'll have to still haul water up to, you know, wherever it is that they live. And it's like, you know, progress could be made. Whoever made the washing machine and then made it in such a way that it's so cheap, it's ridiculous. You know, look at what Henry Ford did. Henry Ford designed a car that the average man and woman could afford, the Model T. He wanted to make it affordable for the people that worked on his assembly line. 
and it was brilliant. Changed the world. Look at where we are now. Look at cars today. You can get really expensive ones. You can get little little baby cars. You can get green cars. You can get any car you want. SUVs, big SUVs, medium SUVs, small SUVs, sports cars galore. Um, all my friends love sports cars. And, you know, I'll tell you this. There's a guy out there by the name of Igor Sikorsky. You've heard of a Sikorsky helicopter. That guy had the same idea that Henry Ford did which was he thought that he wanted to make helicopters. And by the way, they're one of the finest helicopters. By the way, he's a Russian. I probably colluded with him. Um, but I, yeah, I just read about how he, his vision for the helicopter was that everybody use it. Everybody, that that's how we transport people. And you know what? We could do it, but probably government doesn't allow it. Then you got the whiners and complainers. Like I'll give you an example. If you... The, the big business in New York is they've got Uber helicopters. They really do. It's called Blade. I know that's one of them. There are other ones. I've never used them, but they have, in other words, it's like an Uber. And you book your helicopter flight if you're part of that crowd that goes out to the Hamptons every weekend. And maybe you need two seats, but maybe they seat eight people. I don't know how many people are in the helicopters. And anyway, it's Uber helicopter. It's kind of a cool idea. That, but the problem is then the people in the Hamptons complain, ah, I heard a helicopter, excuse me, while I'm laying at the pool, two helicopters flew over in an hour. It's outrageous. I go, all right, get over it. I mean, it, it, pretty much anywhere where I live in Long Island, New York, and the flight patterns change, you, you're going to hear airplanes. Now, some pl if you're really close to the airport, it's going to be worse. But you knew that when you bought close to the airport. It's not like they just put in LaGuardia or JFK or whatever other airport, Newark, uh, that you might be flying in and out of. Anyway, so Pete, Donald Trump is not complicated. If you look at the things that he has said during the campaign and you look back on his life, he's been very consistent. Now, some of you will say, well, Hannity, but he gave money to Democrats and he was once he wasn't. Now he's become the most pro-life president, but he was once pro-choice, but he explained what changed his mind. And it was a profound moment for him. Nobody believed him. Nobody believed he was a conservative because in New York, you got to kind of suck up to both parties, especially the Democrats, or else your building's not going up. Those plumbers, electricians, those construction workers are not going to be busy because they'll stop you. There's punitive, you know, politicians, oh, you don't want to donate to my campaign? Well, fine. So he's donating to Republicans and Democrats so he can keep his buildings going up and workers working and making money. That's the, and, he would, and he said it. He was like, wasn't my idea. That's their game. That's how it's played. I don't like it, but that's how it's played. And it's true. Now, is it bribery? No. It's just that you know that if you don't donate after you've been invited and all these people would knock on his door and go up to Trump Tower and you know, sit before Donald Trump. He knew why they were there. They wanted money. Why did they want? Then I guess that gives you access. You make a call. Oh, can you do me a favor? That gives you the phone call access. It's just it, the whole thing sucks. That's why you should have politicians serving two years and out, out the door. Anyway, so it's he everything he said he would do. Like, for example, when he negotiates, if you ever read the art of the deal, and there will be people in the media speculating, well, Hannity has these conversations with the president. Well, I'm a talk show host. Excuse me. Um, I'm a member of the press. 
And yeah, I make phone calls and we do a lot of digging, which is how we were able to really for two years break story after story after story after story while the mainstream media went ahead with their lies, their collusion and their hoax and conspiracy theories. And we ended up being right and they were wrong. And so people, literally people will write me from the media and how many times have you talked, spoken to the president? Like, well, give me a list. My answer is always the same. Give me a list of all of your sources and I'll consider maybe telling you one of mine, which I would never do. Well, what do you mean, Hannity? You're a talk show host. Yeah, but I'm a member of the press and a talk show host. I can produce hours and hours of TV, radio coverage. We just doing straight news. Catastrophic event, a shooting, bad weather, you know, her, uh, Katrina, war. You know, I'm not doing opinion. I'm doing straight news reporting. We do investigative reporting. We've been doing it now over two years. That's what the mainstream media mob wouldn't touch. And they've been dead wrong lying to the American people. And we've gotten it right. We're proud of the work that our ensemble team here that we've been able to accomplish. Too many names to list. You know who they are. Um, we did it with Obama. We vetted him. They wouldn't vet him either. That's investigative reporting. We do straight reporting. We do investigative reporting. Yes, I do not hide the fact that I am an opinion host, an advocacy journalist. Uh, a lot of times I'm giving strong opinions, but I'm open about it, and I'm telling you who I am when I'm doing it. There's no, I am a conservative. I'm a registered conservative. Conservatism, as being practiced by Donald Trump, works. So I'm transparent. And sometimes we do sports. You know, sometimes we have on Herschel Walker or Tim Tebow or cultural issues uh, like first we'll deliver the baby and then we'll make sure the baby's comfortable and then we'll let the mother decide if the baby lives. That would be considered a cultural issue, not as much a political one. In other words, I can't believe we're debating infanticide or, you know, if the woman's in the middle of the birthing process and she's dilating, would you still support abortion? Yeah, my, our bill allows that during birth, after birth infanticide that's not abortion i refuse to call it abortion because it's not um so the president has always been transparent he said he was going to cut taxes he did the biggest tax cuts in history said he was going to give you a list of supreme court justices uh and he would pick from that list he did he said he was going to have massive deregulation made a big deal about it he did it he said to me many times because of my pet issue i believe that we can raise the standard of living you know we could double the standard of living frankly if in fact we would become energy independent we are for the first time in 75 years which makes the straits of hormuz less uh important to us than ever before which gives us leverage and by the way we can we're now a net exporter of energy and we're just we're just touching the surface because we've got more resources than all these countries that hate us that we've been begging to give us the lifeblood of our economy for decades. You know, he kept that promise. The president said he was going to negotiate new trade deals. He did it. You know, he's going to make NATO pay more. He negotiated that. Every time he negotiates, though, they get uncomfortable. Last week, he single-handedly said to Mexico, stop the migrant caravans or I'm going to put a tariff on you of 25%. Wow. Even Republicans, no, we don't want, we don't believe in, you know, we want free and fair, we want free trade, free trade. Okay, but when you're getting taken advantage of, if you don't, if they don't believe you're serious, you have no negotiation leverage. 
Read the art of the deal. President Trump, art of the deal. If you're doing a business deal, never want it too much. Be able to walk away from the deal any second. He's fighting for the border. He kept his promise on Jerusalem, kept his promise on Golan, kept his promise. He has now put pressure on, massive pressure on the Iranians, which is why they're acting out. I like the fact that people have an impression of Donald Trump that is inaccurate. They, they literally, Donald Trump said he'd do all these things and he did them. It makes him unique. That's why he's not a politician. He's very, very predictable. Um, and the fact that, you know, he hasn't obliterated, as he said, he may have to, the Iranians, I believe he will, but he did do a couple of things this weekend that nobody really seems to want to pay attention to. Like, oh my gosh, President Trump really did that? That's interesting to me. Yeah, because, uh, number one, the polls show that voters support the president's Iran strategy. Uh, Maxine Waters was actually accusing Trump of provoking Iran. <laughs> okay. Why? Because he didn't drop, you know, cargo planes full of cash and other currency. Uh, but the president has now announced more sanctions on Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei. And the president also, nobody noticed, seems to notice, uh, we did strike back at Iran and their military computers this weekend. But the president said he may obliterate them. And guess what? He may. Um, and is he ever going to get us into a foreign entanglement? No, he's dead set against it. But would he obliterate them? Oh, yeah. Now, if he would go too fast, everyone would be furious with him. Uh, I used that earlier, by the way, so I'm going to go to... Uh, okay, 800-941-SHAWN is our number. We'll get to this. The fact that the media doesn't get it is amazing to me. So people want to just... There's nothing Donald Trump can ever do that's ever going to be right in the eyes of those people that have decided they hate him. There's nothing. If he cured cancer, gave everybody $10 million, it's not going to matter. So the president, you know, the media saying, oh, no, Donald Trump... Is going to get us, is, is World War III starting? No, no, it's not. I do believe Donald Trump absolutely is standing back. He's watching. He's negotiating. And he's doing things that we don't know. And he will do it in his time. And if you doubt he has the ability and willingness to do what's necessary to obliterate Iran, then you don't know Donald Trump. But now he is acting, and what he's done is we have struck Iranian military computers hard, apparently, over the weekend. He's now put sanctions on the Ayatollah himself. The president is being prudent. We have the ability to be more prudent than ever before in any Middle Eastern entanglement because of his decision to make us energy independent, which every other president before could have, but never did. And it to me, and, and if he does, he's not going to start a war with boots on the ground. So whatever he decides militarily is going to be devastating to Iran. Now, I think we eventually one day, as hard as it is, considering the how big the Iranian landmass is and the location of their nuclear reactors, I think there's going to have to be a partnership to take all those facilities out. And that's a very difficult military operation. I've talked to many generals about it. 
All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SHAWN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. So I just, I don't think the media will ever want to know Donald Trump. Um, it, they just don't want, and by the way, if you really want to be honest here, why do we have this problem with Iran? Because, well, yeah, Donald Trump kept his promise and he sanctioned Iran and it's killing their economy. They're about to hit a 40% inflation rate. Their contraction at, at four and 6%, you know, yearly is now devastating their economy. Uh, the sanctions also have, have resulted in a massive reduction in oil exports for them. And the United States' independence, it couldn't be a better time because the Straits of Hormuz, which have always been strategically so dangerous for the world, really, in the end, it wouldn't be great. we get over it much more easily than ever before because of the president's commitment to energy independence. Do I think it's going to come down to the president's um, obliteration of Iran? I kind of don't. But anything's possible, and whatever happens is going to happen. It doesn't matter. They will choose, ultimately, what their fate is. It's not going to be Donald Trump. It's not going to be a ground war. It's not going to be boots on the ground, and it's not going to be a protracted, long, you know, no up-armored Humvees, politicized, you know, a year later, you know, questioning whether we ever should have been there. Uh, Then, you know, warmongers, you know, it's going to be... You know, you have to think strategically. And, you know, this is something that the country dealt with in World War II, the war that my dad fought in. If you think back after Pearl Harbor and you think back America's involvement in Europe, which I think we got in a little later than we should, my own personal opinion. I don't think there was a lot of support for it. And and Winston Churchill rightly was begging the United States because they needed our help. The world needed our help to defeat fascism and Nazism. We had our own issues after Pearl Harbor. And it was after that that Winston Churchill became the guest that would never leave the White House because he he knew the importance of America's involvement. We were the key to victory. And those guys, we just celebrated the and honored the, the men of Normandy and slamming the beaches of Normandy. And it's like, wow, courageous men, uh, you just... You, you can't even fathom, you know, you, you let's say you're the third, fourth, fifth wave of of American soldiers just hitting shore. And you're just looking at all thousands of dead bodies, hundreds of dead bodies, injured soldiers ahead of you. And you see that they've got the high ground and you got to somehow we've got to defeat this. You know, you know, you're walking in a certain death, but they did it and they won. And then you think of the decision of. Harry Truman, you know, we got hit at Pearl Harbor, you know, an unprovoked attack, and we're now involved in the Pacific. That's where my father fought for four years. He served four years in the Pacific. He signed up, and like so many other Americans of his generation, didn't love it, didn't like it, but knew it was important and did it. Um, And watched people die in front of him, told me, didn't like to talk about it. Like a lot of that that generation, they don't want to go there, and I don't blame them. And, you know, then you think, of, well, Truman's deciding, all right, now we have this bomb and we can hit Hiroshima and Nagasaki and we can end the war. Maybe just one was needed, maybe two. 
And then you think of, okay, well, if it's a protracted conflict and you let it go on and it goes on and on, how many Americans are going to die in the process? Nobody likes, if you have a human heart and soul, you don't like what we call collateral damage. It's not collateral when it's human life. These are real people, real lives, real men, women, and children. And yet, because of the actions of their government, we have to now, we're now involved in a decision we don't want to make. And that is, all right, do we end the war? People are going to get hurt. Innocents will lose lives. People that had no beefs with the U.S., no, they're not even involved in politics. But it's going to end the war. And American lives are going to be saved. And they started it. There's no question about who the aggressor is. And we can go on for many years and lose many American lives, or we can end it. What decision is the right decision? I am thinking more and more that wars need, we need to recalibrate how we fight wars. And that is we need the next generation of weaponry where we're not going to have to have boots on the ground. We have the satellite technology and the drone technology and the ability to see, you know, with pinpoint accuracy, you know, where the target is, where the enemy is, who the enemy is, and it's getting better, better every second, every hour of every day. That's for, by the way, that's from our great intelligence people, the 99% that would never abuse the, the tools of intelligence that are so powerful or turn them against the American people, the 99% that keep us safe. But if we can fight the future wars instead of having kids with, you know, in Humvees, in some cases, not up armored, that drove me nuts when we discovered that. Then they retrofitting them. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then Americans, we had to, you know, once you start, you got to win it. I just believe there's only there's no other answer. Victory is the only answer if you're going to be involved in a war. We've had two wars now that have become politicized, Afghanistan, Iraq and Vietnam and it doesn't end well and I don't want to to be sending kids to fight bleed and die without the ultimate goal of victory and I don't know and I don't believe that the country has the stomach for any type of boots on the ground conflict or battle especially in the Middle East look I don't believe we're going to change these countries the way to defeat Sharia for example or caliphates, and what we what what happened in Syria? We bombed the living crap out of them. People really weren't paying attention. Literally, they finally and the people in those countries did the groundwork. That's how we beat back ISIS. That's how we did it. Till the last city, the first city that was taken, and all of the territorial ambitions pushed back, and that first city taken back. And that was Donald Trump. Bombing the living hell out of them, day by day. Now we didn't. Have, we had some boots on the ground. We had intelligence people on the ground, but the people that were actually doing most of the work up front were people from those countries fighting for their country. Which is, just, if you're not willing to fight for your country, don't ask us to go fight for your country. You know, frankly, anybody that we help out, you need to pay the cost of us fighting for your liberty and freedom. I think Trump was always right about that. We should have compensated military families with the oil from Iraq. We're going to bail you out of that dictatorship and, frankly, Syria, too. We, could, we, we have every right to force you to pay for your own liberation 
and compensate American treasure, our, you know, which is the, the men and women that fight these wars and their families. Yeah, millions of dollars. Absolutely. Per family. Absolutely. Sorry. You know, we didn't want to go there either, but we did it. You're safe. The world's safer, but you're paying the price. I think that's a great idea. Anyway, so we'll see how this unfolds, but I do believe, like every other promise, Trump is not going to get us into a long boots-on-the-ground conflict. And the next generation of warfare, I think, is going to be very different. We better get ahead of this. And I know that there are others that, you know, well, we believe that we should drop cargo planes of cash and currency on the tarmac and hand it over to mullahs that hate our guts. Dumb idea. Uh, we got a lot. We got a preview of coming attractions. So we're going to have these Democratic debates this week. Let me play a little bit of the crazy Democratic socialists in South Carolina this weekend, because this is pretty much what you're going to hear from now till November of 2020. It's madness. Let's take action and make sure that if Congress doesn't have the courage to pass smart gun safety laws, then we will get the job done. I believe in America, where no politician tells a woman what to do with her body. I believe in an America where health care is a right and not a privilege for just those who can afford it. I believe in an America where children do not have to fear going to school for fear of a mass shooter. Let's recognize that climate disruption is a national security threat. And if we want to talk about national security, let us name and confront the rising tide of violent white nationalism that has claimed lives from Charleston to San Diego. That's national security. And also for that same two cents, we can cancel student loan debt for 95% of the folks who've got it. We are for ending the school to prison pipeline. We are for standing up to make sure that we don't stick our head in the ground on climate change, but this is the nation that leads us out of this crisis. My administration, we gave pre-K, full day pre-K to every child in our city for free. Do you want that, South Carolina? Do you think people need that all over this country? Today in New York, we are guaranteeing health care for everyone who does not have insurance. We will pass a law this year in New York guaranteeing and mandating two weeks paid vacation for every working person. Are you ready for that in South Carolina? We will demand that the wealthy and large corporations start paying their fair share of taxes so that we can make public colleges and universities tuition free and substantially reduce student debt in this country. I want the real thing, ladies and gentlemen, not just superficial things. I want a Department of Children and Youth. I want a massive realignment of investment in the direction of our children under 10. I don't want to just talk about Medicare for all, although we need it. We need to talk about the chemical policies and the environmental policies and the food policies and the agricultural policies that are making us so sick. And I don't just want to talk about race-based policies, because if you just talk about race-based policies, you're leaving open the question of whose fault that is. Is. We need reparations, and we need reparations because reparations do more than pay money. They are spiritual power. They are an inherent mea culpa. They are an acknowledgement of a wrong that has been done, a debt that is owed, and a willingness to pay it. Under my plan, whether you're covered by your employer on your own or not at all, 
you will be able to buy into an option, a public health care option like Medicare. We can easily afford free community college, cutting in half the cost of four-year colleges for everyone qualified to get in. And further than that, we have to do something and reduce the student debt, which I don't have time to go into now, but we will. I don't have time to get into now, but we will. It's gone so far crazy left. I mean, crazy Bernie says it's not appropriate to deport illegal immigrants, even after a court orders the deportation. I mean, the Democratic Party, they're open borders. Now they're, they're, I can't believe how hard they're pushing for during birth and after birth infanticide. They're, they're, they're fighting hard. They want a 70% personal income tax rate. Then they want a 90% corporate rate, kill the economy, then eliminate all gas and oil, then a wealth tax. On oh, Elizabeth Warren apparently uh, wants reparations. Let me see. This was in the Daily Caller. Uh, she wants gay and lesbian couples to, to be added to the growing list of whom she would support for reparations. That's another big part of the Democratic agenda. Um, but, you know, everything is free is interesting. How are you going to pay for that? How are you going to pay for any of this? You know, I was watching um, the moment with uh, Mayor Pete got the crap beat out of him when he was in South Bend over the weekend um, surrounding, you know, they say he's done nothing to help the black community in South Bend. And there was a prominent leader posed what seemed like a simple question to Mayor Pete during a private meeting. Who in the African-American community back home supports you? And he couldn't name anybody. Anyway, they had a, a recent shooting, controversial shooting and he got his head handed to them. I went and looked at this guy's record. There was a survey of the good old Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg. Let's see. So 65% of residents are dissatisfied with the maintenance of city streets, sidewalks, and infrastructure. Great record, Mayor. 51% of residents don't agree that they have an overall feeling of safety in their neighborhood. 64% of residents in South Bend disagree the city is safe. A safe community for everyone. 70% of residents don't agree that the city has vibrant, welcoming neighborhoods. 71% don't agree that the city has strong, a strong, inclusive economy. 72% don't agree that all residents are empowered with education, mobility, and technology. And, I mean, these responses are unbelievable. You know, 13%. Of residents believe agreed with South Bend is safe and a safe community for everyone. Thirteen percent, sixty nine percent of Americans agree. Uh, Americans in South Bend agreed that their community is safe for everyone. Well, how is he mayor? And I watched him get the crap beat out of him, and I'm like, he's a pretty crappy mayor. Sort of like the worst mayor in New York City history is Big Bird or Comrade De Blasio. He's the worst. Does nothing. And what he does do is dumb. Now we're going to, what? No, we can't build skyscrapers in New York. So all building is going to stop in New York. Well, that's a genius move. I bet you're really happy if you work in the construction industry because you can't use glass and steel anymore. Uh, James, if you bring that in. You know, the, well, I got to take a break. All right, as we continue, Hour 2, Sean Hannity Show, toll-free, numbers 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, joining us now, he is the chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice, also counsel to the president. Uh, Jay Sekulow is back with us. How are you, sir? Very well, Sean. 
Well, we're learning a lot about the deep state. I guess we're going to find out if Robert Mueller is going to testify. Um, we're running out of time, Adam Schiff said. Um, I'm watching now. This is now the fifth separate investigation into so-called Trump-Russia collusion. The fifth. And we had the nine-month FBI investigation, and Peter Strzok said no there, there, and Lisa Page behind closed doors testified and said uh, we had nothing. This is before the appointment of Mueller. We had the House Intelligence Committee, nothing. Bipartisan Senate Committee, nothing. The Mueller report, total victory for the president. No collusion. And I'm watching Gerald Nadler try to bring everybody back in. I saw Hope Hicks go in last week, and I cannot believe that jerk literally referred to her four times as Miss Lewandowski. I mean, really? That's how we're going to treat people? To answer the same questions that they've already answered again and again because the president never once asserted executive privilege. Gave 1.5 million documents to Mueller. He he literally answered Mueller's questions himself, written answers. He He told everybody to cooperate. Everybody cooperated. They were encouraged to cooperate. And now we have to go for a fifth one and make people take on... The legal fees associated with this, this to me is madness, punitive. This is abuse of power in its own right and an abuse of the presidency, the executive branch. Well, look, this is, as you said, this is like round five of this. And frankly, the American people have had enough of it. Uh, what you saw last week, you know, you had Ted Lieu was tweet, uh, tweeting out pictures of Hope Hicks giving testimony. This was supposed to be, you know, a private testimony that would be later public by a transcript. But they were, you know, live tweeting this, which shows you that this is theater. This isn't real legal issues. This is pure political theater. Now, I, I want to take it a step further, though, Sean, and, because you said that talking about some of the issues with those within government that are, are trying to, to cause problems for this president. And we had a lawsuit uh, that was captioned American Center for Law and Justice versus the United States National Security Agency. It was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. This one was involving the famous Executive Order 12333. That was the one. Ah, slow down here. Your favorite. Your favorite. Yeah. Okay, you're like the only person that knows and remembers that I brought this up a lot. Explain 12333. So there was very limited sharing capability of what's called raw intel. This is raw intel. And it was very limited. Basically, three agency heads uh, could have access to it. All of a sudden, in the waning days, I mean the last days of the Obama administration, a decision is made to increase the sharing of this very sensitive raw signal intelligence uh, to 17 agencies. For eight years of the Obama administration, they didn't want to do this. But at the very end of the Obama administration, as President Trump literally was to be sworn in, they decided to change the distribution to increase it to all of these other groups, which would give all these other groups access to information when the new president came in. And now we have obtained documents which show that the Office of Director of National Intelligence under Director James Clapper was not only eager and pushing to get these new procedures signed by the attorney general, quote, before the conclusion of this administration, that's in the documents, and that the Director of National Intelligence Office General Counsel Robert Litt, this was his position, told the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense that 
we really want to get this done, and so does the boss, the boss there being, we expect, James Clapper. Then the National Security Administration discussed that they could have the next signature from Loretta Lynch as early as this week. Again, quoting, certainly prior to the 20th of January, January, which, of course, was Inauguration Day. So you had this entire change of the intelligence gathering apparatus take place, forced through at the end. For what reason? We know what reason. Crossfire hurricane, the, ongo- the so-called Russia probe. Remember, that probe was going on before the president was sworn in. So now we know exactly. Now you put that in context with the FISA abuse. And now you really see what was going on here. And no wonder James Clapper is reacting the way he is, because now we've got the actual documents. I'm holding the documents in my hand. You can hear them here on radio, where it says we've been coordinating with the ODNI stents. We could have the signature by the AG. That's Loretta Lynch, certainly prior to January 20th. I've got another one that says these procedures have signed by the attorney general before the conclusion of this administration. We really want to get this done, and so does the boss. Is another one. So this. So does, exactly can we go to so to the boss for a second? Because you're talking about Clapper, and you're right. talking about bringing it to Loretta Lynch, imposing on the new administration. Now, I think there's some context. We've got to lay a foundation here for this before we get to, you know, before the 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 boss comment, right. and that is that we've got to remember here that this is the same group of people that were involved in the exoneration, writing an exoneration of Hillary without an investigation. And when they finally did interview Hillary for clear violations of the espionage, it is incontrovertible evidence. She had top secret classified information on a secret server. And if you cared about obstruction of justice, but it's only the left only cares about Donald Trump. uh, So you have an underlying crime, easily provable. Even Comey admitted it on July 5th. Then, of course, the destruction of subpoenaed emails in multiple ways. And then, of course, then there was a real Russian dossier. How that was ignored during the Mueller investigation is beyond me. Uh, yes, they were supposed to Nunes warned about such chaos that would be created by Russia in 2014. Nobody in the Obama Biden administration paid attention. Anyway, it happens. The dossier with funneled money from a law firm to an op research firm to Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele doesn't stand by his own dossier. Then the FISA application, October 2016, an unverifiable document paid for by the opposition party candidate becomes the bulk of information to get the FISA warrant against Carter Page, thus into the Trump campaign, thus into the Trump transition and the Trump presidency. So and now put on top of it all of this and that, that now you exactly. have all this intelligence sharing. So now why did they go from three to 17 and why was there urgency and what who is the boss that we're talking about here? We think the boss and there's no way to tell. It would make sense that the general counsel to the, uh, the office of DNI, Robert Litt, is talking about his boss, James Clapper. Now, could it be somebody else? It could, but it, it, it reads when you see it in the chain of emails. That's what it appears to be. Why do I think it could even be Obama? But it, I mean, well, I mean, it could be. I have no idea. I will tell you this. It's certainly James Clapper at a minimum. It could it be higher. But here's what we do know. We know that the attorney general, the, uh, the DNI director, we know the administration, including the president, was aware of this executive order. They signed it. We know that they did it in, look, for eight years, it was fine to have the raw signal intel only evaluated by the three agency heads. But in the last 
two weeks of the administration, all of a sudden now you want to have it where it goes to all 17. And putting something this significant through, you would think they would give the new administration a chance to weigh in on it, right? Well, not only do they not give them a chance to weigh in on it, they said, we need to get this done, certainly prior to January 20th. These are these e- their emails, by the way. We really want to get this done, and so does the boss. Another email, procedures signed by the attorney general before the conclusion of this administration. So they knew exactly what they were doing, and that was to get this information into these other agencies where they've got their people that are there forever to monitor this new administration that was coming in. And we, of course, know, as you just laid out, Sean, so perfectly, we know about all of the investigations that were going on a year prior to the election. So, so this all the, now, what, what's happened now is it all makes sense. And I think when we see the, the when the FISA information... Well, well I want you to pull it together for everybody from yep. your perspective as a lawyer, which is yep. extraordinarily smart and unique. Look, I think what you've got here is this was a soft coup. I mean, that's what this was. This was an attempt to undercut the incoming administration uh, before they were sworn in. And they knew they had a, about two weeks to get it done. And they got it done. And the urgency in these emails and the texts and the, and the messaging points from these various agencies was to make sure it is done prior to January 20th. So that the, whoever was going to still be there, and there would be a lot of people still there in these, in these positions, they would have access now to this raw intel that would not be available before. Why is it? I think it all ties back to Crossfire Hurricane. That's what I think it is. That this was an attempt. When they, you know, as a, as a manu, you know, you talk about the Christopher Steele manufactured dossier. You talk about the fact that it was going over to Bruce Orr, his wife. This is the number four at the Justice Department at the time. His wife's working for Fusion GPS, who's the organization that's putting this together. All right, so you put all that together. You now know that they wanted this signal intel increase, this uh, executive order uh, 12333 done prior to the administration coming in. It was urgent. We now see it in, in, in literally in black and white. Uh, because we went to federal court to get the documents. And the end result of that, I think, is that we now know exactly what happened. This was the continuation of what they had already put in place. That's what this is. So when Lindsey Graham questioned the new Attorney General Barr and said, are you confident, the Mueller report, um, et cetera, et cetera, are you worried about Hillary's investigation? Yes. you worried about FISA abuse? Yes. All right, so we also have the appointment of Durham, we have a hold, obviously, on Michael Horowitz's uh, investigation, the inspector general's investigation into FISA abuse. I would argue probably because of the appointment of Mr. Durham and Durham is now going to go interview and and get information from Christopher Steele. And I think we have a very good idea what he will say, because in an interrogatory and under the threat of perjury in Great Britain, uh, he said, I had no idea if any of it was true. And yet it was being used as the basis for the FISA application. We had top intelligence officials leaking it to the media, the Washington Post, David Korn, Michael Isikoff. Um, so I, I guess now with, with this revelation of the intensity of this, what was the major purpose to protect the deep state by putting it all over the place so you couldn't figure out who was doing what? It did two things. Number one, it allowed... 17 additional organizational groups to get it within the government. So that's more people. So it's harder to trace because it's real easy to trace when it's three. But it also gave people within those agencies who would have access to that information. So you got it's not just 17. It's 17 times the amount of people that then had access to that information inside those various agencies. So it literally went at that point to dozens of people. 
So, so next I, question I is, all right, so where do you see this all do. going? They wanted the information flow to stay in place. That's what they wanted. So where is this all headed? Because I've said, you know, Barr was very clear. Mueller's done. Mueller's over. They, there's no obstruction. There's no collusion. But he is interested in, you know, Act 2, the curtain has come up, the deep state, abuse of power, all the things I've talked about for two years. Yep. What so happens? This is where, I think this is where it's going. I think you've got uh, Durham doing a thorough dive uh, as a prosecutor. I think Horowitz's report will come out shortly. I think what we're, we're going to see that some of these documents will be uh, pursuant to the Attorney General's authority uh, released. And you're going to find out that what started as Crossfire Hurricane, which continued with Executive Order 1233, which continued during the, the, the special counsel's appointment, that all of that was coordinated, that they knew where this was going, that they had planned this from the beginning, and, and the documents speak for themselves. Three times before the conclusion of this administration, want to get this done, so does the boss, certainly prior to January 20th. They knew exactly the time frame they could operate under, and they did it. And that's what they did, and that's what the documents show. And we now know, of course, because, look, some of this is you got to play detective here. It's not just legally getting the documents, because the documents just sitting out there it's, are, are interesting documents. It's the context now of everything else we know. We know about Crossfire Hurricane. We know about the FISA warrants. We know about the Christopher Steele uh, memo uh, dossier. We now know about, the, the because of the FOIA lawsuit we filed, what was going on inside on Executive Order 12333. This is what it is. So what, what Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, has said, he's going to find out who started this, how it started, and why, because, as he said, spying on a presidential campaign is a really big deal. And I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat. Well, what we're going to do. Spying on a presidential campaign is a big deal. Yeah, uh, and illegal. And when you use phony Russian uh, intelligence that Devin Nunes warned you about was coming, uh, and you use it to spy on the campaign, like Comey signed the first one, but then he lied about it in January 2017, said, well, uh, it's salacious, but it's not verified. Yeah, the opposite. All right. Uh, We're going to show everybody, Jay Sekulow will join us tonight on Hannity, 9 Eastern Fox, and we're going to actually show exactly the documents that he has been able to acquire. That's 9 Eastern tonight, exclusively Hannity, Fox News. Jay, as always, great to hear from you. Thanks for being with us. And as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. This is very interesting to me. Sidney Powell, who wrote the book License to Lie, has now become the attorney for, and by the way, the biggest nemesis, exposing people like Andrew Weissman, Mueller's pit bull, you know, having withheld, you know, talked about the whole Enron accounting issue and, you know, tens of thousands of Americans lose their jobs. He loses 9-0 in the Supreme Court. He put four Merrill executives in jail. Uh, and they they went in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals for nothing. And she, she exposes all this, withholding exculpatory evidence. Anyway, she is now the attorney for General Flynn. Sixteen months ago, she said he ought to pull back and withdraw his plea. And I agree with that, especially after McCabe and Comey are bragging that they set him up and said, oh, you don't need an attorney. I wouldn't do this in any other administration. Anyway, at the hearing, Emmett Sullivan is the judge, and the judge thanked Powell for the the kind words about him and her book, License to Lie, because he handled the public corruption case at Senator Ted Stevens, who also was set up and with exculpatory evidence withheld. And he said he didn't need to recuse himself.
one thing you can always count on. Sean Hannity is back on the radio. I want to ask what's going down with the, these, the children in these migrant camps. The stories are horrible, Mr. President. You have children without their parents. You have kids taking care of kids. Yeah. You've, you've read these reports. I know people are coming to you. I know you think this is the Democrats' problem. Well, and forget it. Why aren't you doing some of it? They are you ready? Are you, they are in terrible shape down there, Mr. President. Down in Homestead, Florida, that's where I grew up, It's it, the, these, okay. the, the conditions are terrible. I agree. And do it's something. been that way for a long time. Do something. And President Obama built the cages. Remember when they said that I built them and then it was 1914? Do two wrongs make a right? It was 2014. Chuck, just listen for okay. one second. Separation. President Obama, I took over separation. I'm the one that put it together. What's happened, though, are the cartels and all of these bad people, they're using the kids. They're, they're, it's almost like slavery. Well, let's not punish the kids no, no more. This has been happening. You, the kids are getting punished more. You're right. And this has been happening long before I got there. What we've done is we've created, we've, we've ended separation. You know, under President Obama, you had separation. I was the one that ended it. Now, I said one thing. When I ended it, I said, here's what's going to happen. More families are going to come up. And that's what's happened. But they're really coming up for the economics. But once you ended the separation, but I ended separation. I inherited separation from President Obama. President Obama built, they call them jail cells. Let's talk about what's happening Obama. now. Your I'm, administration, I'm you're not doing you. the recreation. You're not even schooling these kids anymore. You've gotten rid of all We're that stuff. We're doing a fantastic job under the circumstances. The Democrats aren't even approving giving us money. Where is the money? You know what? The Democrats are holding up the humanitarian aid. It looks like these kids are being used as, as some, some some sort of, is it hostage? Well, they, they are being hostage. used. They are being used by very bad people on the but other side where they actually used. get paid. Where their, money is being made using them because our laws are so bad. Because if you have a child, you have an advantage. You know that better than anybody. And what should happen to you? let the political debate hurt these Chuck, children? They could, could be infected, impacted for years. If the Democrats would change the asylum laws and the loophole, Polls, which they refuse to do because they think it's good politics, everything would be solved immediately. But they refuse to do it. They refuse to do it. You know what? If they change those, I say, I used to say 45 minutes, it's 15 minutes. If they changed asylum and if they changed loopholes, everything on the border would be perfect. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. Now, the president just delayed the planned ICE deportations for two weeks. The reason he did it was at the request of Democrats and to see if Democrats and Republicans to give them yet what is probably a 10th opportunity to get together and work out a solution, which would be the best option to the asylum and loophole problem at the southern border. By the way, the president's right. I mean, these kids, they they are not... Uh, they don't know who's bringing them across and they're being used in some cases multiple times and the attempts and efforts at, at reuniting them with their families are, you know, at times, cause I talked to these guys, a lot of work and, and even heroic because they work so hard to get the kids back with the families. So it's not exactly the way the phony, fake lying conspiracy theory hoax media, the mob is describing it. Now, remember, it did happen under the Obama administration and the Bush administration. There was very little to no coverage. As usual, the president did something that he probably thought was unconstitutional. He said, no, I'm going to stop it by executive order. 
so far it's been upheld. But the idea that people don't respect our laws or sovereignty and literally we don't know who they are and they're making a mad dash for the border because at the end of this year we expect 400 miles now completed a border wall and they see that time is running out. The president is one on the uh, issue of his emergency executive action. We told you he would because legislatively he has the right to build barriers and put up lights to stop drug trafficking corridors. Uh, That's again, that's legislatively. uh, That is the law of the land and also constitutionally as commander in chief. If you look at we're losing 300 kids a week when it comes to drugs and opioids and 90 percent of it is crossing that border. So we have the cartels, and then we have the gangs, and then we have others that, you know, are trying to integrate into the migration population with the hopes that they can get in and do damage to the U.S. They don't have our best intentions at heart. And then, of course, we have those criminal elements that have made it across, and Americans victims of crime. You know, 2,000 homicides in a year, 30,000 violent sexual assaults in a year, in two years, 100,000 violent assaults uh, in two years. I mean, there's only so many so many statistics you can give out before you say, wow. And then we do have a humanitarian crisis. We've had Border Patrol agents on this show that have spent long years of their life, over a decade, some 15 years, involved just in the human trafficking side of things. And often is the case that young girls are trafficked into the United States for prostitution. Girls as young as 12 and 13. And they have described a a, a scenario which is pure and utter evil where these young girls are raped 30, 40 times a day. We've interviewed these people. They're telling us their story. And yet, well, walls are immoral. Um, No, they're not. They weren't immoral in the second year of the Obama administration. So anyway, that's what the president's position on Nancy Pelosi. Thanks, Trump, for halting. Now give us a giant amnesty. No, you're not getting amnesty in this. You cared about DACA. You cared about Dreamers. There's always been this compromise out there, but they don't want it. And now that the president will use the authority he has, as he's been doing every step of the way, and, you know, literally start deporting those people, out of the country that come in illegally uh, is just the right thing to do. By the way, it's Mexico's policy. It's Australia's policy. It's uh, New Zealand's policy. Tom Homan has accused the acting DHS secretary of resisting some of these right, uh, uh, ICE raids. Then you have, you know, states and cities that have made it their policy to aid and abet other crimes by not abiding by the law and handing over those that are even in jail, criminal illegal immigrants, to ICE for deportation after they serve their time in jail. They still won't release them. And now New York is going to give legal drivers licenses to illegal immigrants. And Comrade Cuomo is loving the idea. And then you have on top of that, you know, it just, it, it why? why? Why wouldn't we have The wall built, the protections needed, the drugs stopped, the cartels stopped, the human traffickers stopped. Why wouldn't we do that? What is what possible reasons do the Democrats have? Is it because it's Trump's idea? You know, are they looking at this politically thinking, well, you know, this might help us get more voters. 
Okay, or what about others that want cheap labor? Republicans and Democrats, some of them have selfish motivations and always have had in terms of their desire for an open border. Congressman Andy Biggs, Freedom Caucus member, born and raised down there in Arizona on the border. Uh, It's never been this bad, but um, what is the truth about what has happened? I think one of the reasons we're seeing this massive increase, as we are, of these migrant caravans, which the president single-handedly stopped by saying, well, we're just going to put a 25% tariff on Mexico, and even some Republicans didn't hold the line, but he got it done anyway. Um, Why are we seeing this massive increase? I think it's because people see that the window of opportunity is closing. Yeah, Sean, you're exactly right. There is basically a, and you know this, a grapevine of information that flows from uh, the U.S. down all the way into uh, Central America, uh, the cartels are up to date on the news that's happening in the U.S. They market based on that. Uh, and right now, uh, because the Democrats have been very difficult for us to work with in trying to get something done, the fact that we still have uh, no, no, uh, haven't made this uh, uh, progress on the fence that we wanted, we still have bad asylum laws, uh, you're seeing it uh, telegraphed to Asia and Africa. So we're seeing lots of folks coming in, but I think it's because uh, Mexico has now stepped up on its southern border, so that's going to be a better thing. And uh, the U.S. uh, with President Trump has said, look, we're going to start deporting people who already have – Sean, here's the thing. They've already been through the deportation process, and a court has said, look, you know, you presented your case. You need to be removed. And I think that they feel the the door is closing, and so they got to hurry up to get up here. Well, okay, so the way Chuck Todd and all the all the passion that the media mob is showing, why didn't they show this in the Obama years? Because we, we've showed the images, we've got them. Yeah, they they didn't do it in the Obama years because uh, they didn't want to have Obama and be embarrassed, right? So they didn't want him to be embarrassed. The reason that they've uh, been so hard to work with here is because, and I've talked to some of them, they've told me, well, we don't want President Trump to get a political win. To me, that is shameful, um, that they would place politics above the national security and also the humanitarian issue that this is. So so that's really, uh, as far as I can tell, that's their real motivations. Yeah, well, I think everyone's got real motivations. Do you agree with me? Some people... You know, left, right, I mean, they're equally to blame, those that have wanted open borders, some people wanting cheap labor, some people wanting uh, what they think will be a a voting demographic for them. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. There's a lot of blame to go around on this one, Sean. Yeah. Uh, all right. Andy, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it, as always. And, um, you know, it's pretty unbelievable. One, one last thing here. You know, what did you think about the... Uh, McAleenan situation in the Senate humanitarian funding bills um, when he says it doesn't go far enough because that's the sort of the human humanitarian crisis of it. Well, the the problem is it, both the bills, the one from the Senate and the House, is they actually hamstring uh, ICE. They don't give them uh, money for new beds, which is part of the humanitarian problem. Is is we is we're keeping these folks in in overcrowded conditions, and so. Uh, we have to get new beds, but both bills prevent us from, from buying and building beds and detaining folks that are here illegally. So you're going to con- continue basically to have this catch and release situation that we have, and and uh, it, it's going to continue to be a problem until we can just we can just stop playing politics with this and fund border security.
Yeah, agreed. Fully, completely. And the president, to his credit, you know, they weren't able to override his um, emergency action uh, veto. And he did have the, the transfer of funds. Past presidents have done it. And we did have reallocated money from the Defense Department that will now go down to the border. So the money is there. The president told me that in the last interview I had with him. All right, Andy Biggs, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, as we continue, let's hit our busy telephones. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Dan is in Michigan. Dan, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Um, Sean, reference the Iran thing or use of the military force and even Venezuela. Um, I'm an ex-U.S. Army captain, by the way, and I used to over in Germany. But what drives me nuts is that the dictators and liberals like it when we say, well, we don't want another ground war. Well, of course we don't. But look at the Israelis. When they're hit by Hamas, they come from the air, they smack the hell out of Hamas, and after a few days, Hamas is done. So if we decided to hit Venezuela or Iran or anyone, we'd never do ground troops anymore, like you said. That day has come and gone. It doesn't work. So, Sean, from missiles from the sea, jets from the sky, within three, four days, Iran is toast. 30 targets are toast. And then if they strike us again, we do another three days. And if it goes on a month, they're gone. But we never have to put a single person on the ground. And so why do we sit there? Let's do a three-day thing from missiles from the sea, just in the air, and see what they, see if they want more. Look, you're like me, and I'm a natural fighter. And if somebody hits me, my natural instinct is to fight back. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I do love about the president is that he's very, very, very unpredictable in how he manages things. He's predictable in terms of where his position is. He was very clear he doesn't want to get us into any long intervention in the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's never going to happen with him and Iran. I can tell you right now. Now, being energy independent, that also, you know, the, the Straits of Hormuz are less important to the United States now than it, it has ever been in 75 years. Because remember, a lot of foreign entanglements have always been with the Middle East about the free flow of oil at market prices. Well, for the first time in 75 years, we're energy independent. We now are tapping into the vast resources. And if we ever really do it fully, we will raise the standard of living of every American uh, in ways we never dreamed of. We will be those rich countries, except the people should benefit. Not like Venezuela, not like countries in the Middle East. Um, 800-941-SEAN. Thanks for the call. Uh, if you want to be a part of the program, final hour free-for-all is uh, coming up straight ahead. Joe Concha on the really insane side of the news media and these uh, crazy Democratic debates. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. I think there's a blue wave starting to come here in South Carolina. Can you feel it? I feel like we have a blue state about to happen. We know that freedom can only come by way of education, which is why we need a president who will will appoint a secretary of education who actually believes in public education. And we know that you're not free when your reproductive health is being dictated by male politicians. We need to do more than just endlessly prepare for war. And we need to do more than just say things like, we need to bring the boys home. We need to challenge the underlying forces that make all this darkness inevitable. I know that we have in this White House a president 
who says he wants to make America great again. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean he wants to take us back to before schools were integrated? Does that mean he wants to take us back before the Voting Rights Act was enacted? Does that mean he wants to take us back before the Civil Rights Act was enacted? Does he mean he wants to take us back before Roe v. Wade was enacted? Because we're not going back. The first thing that I would do when I'm in office is that I would sign an executive order recommitting the United States to the Paris Climate Accord so that we lead again on sustainability and then follow that up with investment to get to net zero and create more jobs in the new energy economy. Let's start with a wealth tax. Two cents on the top one-tenth of one percent. The biggest fortunes in this country, we ask them to pitch in two cents and here's what we can buy for it. Universal child care for every one of our babies age zero to five. Universal pre-K for every three-year-old and four-year-old in this country. Provide universal tuition-free technical school, community college, and four-year college for every kid who wants to go. I'm running for office because I believe that we as a people can get to the mountaintop. We are for, in the United States of America, once and for all, health care being a right for all Americans. Why am I an existential threat? Well, maybe it's because my administration will finally take on the insurance companies and the drug companies and pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. Maybe it's because we're going to break up the major banks on Wall Street. Four more years of Donald Trump will permanently change the character of this country. We can't let that happen. We have to beat Donald Trump as the overwhelming imperative we have. On day one, on day one, I will move to eliminate Trump's tax cuts as well for the super wealthy. All right, there was the Democratic Socialism Convention in South Carolina over the weekend, and there they are. They got all the nuts in one place. And uh, but, you know, the media is not going to cover this. You know, it's fast. Just two cents. No, it's not two cents. That would be two more cents, I guess, of every dollar or two cents after you pay the 70 percent tax rate that Warren and others want uh, for their new green deal that eliminates the lifeblood of the economy, oil and gas and the combustion engine and everything's free. And now she's saying basically your child gets born, you could just hand it right over to the government. We'll take care of every need that child has from the day they're born to the day they die, cradle to grave, womb to tomb, uh, to each according to their need, from each according to their ability. And just think about it. 90% top corporate rate, well, that's not going to help the economy. No oil and gas, that's not going to help the economy. You, by the way, you might want to invest in cows frozen and butchered because at some point they may be a rare commodity in the world uh, based on their desire to get rid of cows because of the flatulence issue and airplanes. Well, I, they haven't quite figured out how we're going to get from the United States. Maybe you get in a little sailboat and you'll cross the pond that way. Or I don't know how you get to New Zealand and Australia. God, you know, if you need to go to Asia, good luck getting there. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe we'll build bicycle routes above oceans. Joe Concha is with us. Uh He's laughing. I can see him. <laughs> Columnist to the Hill, host of uh, WOR tonight. And uh, by the way, he does a lot in terms of covering the Sunday shows, etc. Uh, by the way, we have two um, debates this weekend. I, I think that what we saw is a preview of coming attractions at 
in South Carolina this weekend. We did, Sean. And you know what? I'm, I want to make sure a lot of people listen to you while they're driving, right? I, I want to caution them right now, put both hands on the wheel, because I'm going to broach Bill Maher from HBO and agree with him. And I think you're going to, too, as far as the Democratic field in 2020. You ready? Of course I'm ready. Go. Okay. Excellent. He I'm always said, ready. If you want to run a campaign based on reparations and concentration camps, then it's going to be very hard to win. And he also goes on to... By the way, you about, can add yeah. one thing to that. Post-birth abortion or during-birth abortion. During-birth abortion. By the way, that's not, well, I, don't, I vote, actually refuse to call it abortion. College, uh, Infanticide. Knocking down border walls like Better O'Rourke wants to do instead of actually building and expanding them. You, you could go on and on in terms of some of the platforms and some of the ideas that have been thrown out. For giving trillions of dollars in student debt, does that mean my five- and three-year-old are at home? Do, do I get an advance on that so I don't have to pay for their college? How's that going to work and who's going to pay for it? You could go on and on. But then even Wait a minute. More, Retroactive. Uh, I pay back my student loan. Do I get mm-hmm. my money back? Right, exactly. Who? Where do you draw the line here? Everybody that has an active student loan? What about my wife who just paid off for 20 years her loans to go to medical school? I, it's, it's nuts. It's, By the way, re- no the, you mentioned reparations. Reality. Elizabeth Warren saying this weekend she wants reparations for same-sex couples. She wants to add them to the list. Of course, why not? When you're giving away stuff, why, why stop at just a couple of things when everything's going to be free? And I, I think they see this as a way to, to victory in 2020. And again, until you explain how you pay for these things without raising taxes, remember the last guy to run on raising taxes, and that, you know, it, it was open about it, Walter Mondale. I believe he won one state in Minnesota, his own, and uh, Reagan very easily could have won that if he actually campaigned there, uh, but didn't want to probably know, true. embarrass the guy too much. No, I think he would have liked embarrassing him. He probably just wasn't thinking about about it at the time. My guess. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Maybe. Um, but then Bill Maher goes on to say, he says, young people look at Joe Biden like a typewriter's running for president. He uh, referred to Elizabeth Warren as a three-syllable woman in a one-syllable country. Uh, it goes on to say, you know, Bernie Sanders, an American hero in my book, but he's another one who has his cardiologist on speed dial. Then he says that Pete Buttigieg, we must ask the question, is America ready to be led by a gay teenager? Uh, and then he begs Oprah to run. He says, Oprah's the only one that could be Trump at this point because the current crop of 24 doesn't have a chance because they're either bad candidates, they're awkward person, uh, personally, like Elizabeth Warren is, or their ideas are just so far out to the left that, that the independents aren't, aren't going to come home to, 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 to uh, vote for them. Uh, you know, I just, I'm looking at this and I've never seen a party implode like this. And it's not going to be pretty in the end. I guess they think that this is going to help them win. I don't know. It's sort of like you know, I've always said this is what the Democrats' agenda really is, but they just never spoke openly about it. They were very clever in their ability to hide it. And they were, you know, this, the, the usual playbook is now not every two and four years. It's every second minute hour of every day, which is Republicans are racist, sexist, misogynist, uh, xenophobic, Islamophobic, homophobic. And they want dirty air and water and they want children to die and they want to throw granny over the cliff. Now, that's every day. And if your name is Donald Trump, they just you you bubble and fizz when you wake up in the morning like Alka-Seltzer and the energy of rage builds up and psychosis takes over. And you think it is your God given duty to destroy this man because he is the embodiment of evil. Meanwhile, we're setting records on the economy like we've never set before. Right. And economies always decide elections. And if this economy continues, it's hard to see what the, the Democrats' message would be outside of all the social issues that they're talking about. I mean, uh, there's several models that show that an incumbent is almost impossible to beat when you have certain uh, economic 
metrics being met, like, you know, under un- unemployment of 4%. That's insane. Uh, the GDP growing the way it is, the wages growing the way they are, and not just for the rich, but for African-Americans, for minorities. You, you could go on and on. And look, I, I agree with the president when he says, I hope that I've, I face Joe Biden in a general election because he's a bad candidate. We're seeing that. And not just like the usual laugh out loud kind of gaffes, but I think what we're seeing from Biden is something that I've always known all along, is that he just goes where the wind blows, Sean. He has no core principles. There's nothing at his heart that he truly wants to accomplish. He's always failed upwards. When you think about it, right, he gets 1% of the vote in Iowa in 2008, so then Barack Obama chooses him to be his vice president. He, he, he Obviously, the plagiarism thing in 88 and so on. So, yeah, I think Biden has been shown that he could be bullied into any position, uh, particularly if it's a moderate one. Then he'll embrace the one on the left. And no one likes that. You say what you will about President Trump. He is definitive in his beliefs. He says what he believes, even if he knows it's unpopular among some circles. And that's who he is. And you could define Donald Trump. I can't define Joe Biden. And the other candidates all have flaws. I don't think they're, they're going to be able to overcome. The other big thing that stands out to me, and, and you saw an energy in the Obama campaign, and the media just went nuts, and people went nuts, and he read a really good teleprompter, and You know, he came up with good slogans and hope and change. And yes, we can. Yes, we can. Um, Didn't mean anything. Um, It was really just a well orchestrated. It was a show. Um, I don't think he had core beliefs except his radicalism, which he was indoctrinated into, which the media would never vet which was Frank Marshall Davis, the Chum Gang, and Acorn, and Alinsky, and community organizations or community organizer, and the Reverend Wright, and Black Liberation Theology, and Ayers and Dorn, and um, a guy that voted present and did nothing. All right, quick break. More with Joe Concha uh, of The Hill and WOR next. that if Congress doesn't have the courage to pass smart gun safety laws, then we will get the job done. I believe in America, where no politician tells a woman what to do with her body. I believe in an America where health care is a right and not a privilege for just those who can afford it. I believe in an America where children do not have to fear going to school for fear of a mass shooter. Let's recognize that climate disruption is a national security threat. And if we want to talk about national security, let us name and confront the rising tide of violent white nationalism that has claimed lives from Charleston to San Diego. That's national security. And also for that same two cents, we can cancel student loan debt for 95% of the folks who've got it. We are for ending the school to prison pipeline. We are for standing up to make sure that we don't stick our head in the ground on climate change, but this is the nation that leads us out of this crisis. My administration, we gave pre-K, full day pre-K to every child in our city for free. Do you want that, South Carolina? Do you think people need that all over this country? All right, Joe Concha continues with us. He's with The Hill. He works with WOR Radio in New York right after me every day. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what happened to poor Mayor Pete Buddha judge this weekend, and I'm thinking, yeah, your your record is atrocious, but nobody will cover it. Um, right. But he got his head handed to him this weekend, and the problem is, you know, the you know I did a he, there was a recent survey that showed that 65 percent of residents in South Bend 
are dissatisfied with the maintenance of city streets, sidewalks, infrastructure. Uh, 64% said uh, disagree that the city is safe, a safe community for everyone. Um, 70% uh, don't agree that the city has vibrant, welcoming neighbors. I mean, maybe he ought to be staying home a little bit and doing his job, but when he did go home, he got an earful. Listen. So if I understood your question correctly, it's about a feature where when a gun is removed from its holster, that is then that automatically activates the body camera. Is that correct? No. I'm sorry. I can't hear Jordan. I cannot hear Jordan speak if you're shouting over him. Please. When, when a shot is fired. When a shot. I don't know that as. So jo- Jordan, good question. That that technology exists, but it's not implemented. I t- I asked. I have the same questions that you did, and I called the company myself, and I talked to them myself, and their best guess for the implement, implement, let him talk. They, they don't even talk. have it testable yet. It will not be out, rolled out until the spring of this coming spring, is what the company told me. You can call and check and ask them with them. Same thing that I did. Call and ask them. What's your reaction to that, Joe Contra? My reaction is that if you're running for president and you're a mayor, you're a governor, I think you should step down when that happens. I didn't like it when Chris Christie did it. I live in New Jersey. I don't like it now with Bill de Blasio in New York. You know, he's an absentee mayor. You see it with Pete Buttigieg. He's an absentee mayor, and you see that the city was already falling apart, and now it's even getting worse. And, yeah, he, he got yelled at, and he looked his age. Let's put it that way. That's already hurting him a lot, that he's 37, but he looks every bit the part of 37. And, by the way, with President Obama, as you, as you talked about, his campaign in 2008, yeah, that was run perfectly. I'll agree. The 2008 crash also helped, right, because then anybody who was in the incumbent party was probably going to get beat. But as far as slogans, no one really talks about this with President Trump. Make America great again. You know what that doesn't have in it? It doesn't have his name, right? It wasn't about Trump. He made it about the country. So I, I think that his slogan, he should continue to do what he's doing as far as this isn't about me, I'm doing this for you, because he very easily could have stayed at home and, and ran a nice business and, and had fun, but he, he went ahead and did it for the country, and slogans matter, and right now, keep America great again. Uh, do you like that, by the way, as, as a slogan? Yeah, I think it's going to work. And yeah, you know what? It's, America it's is doing work. great. We, you know, what do we have? The best June in what? How many years? 80? The best unemployment or employment situation since 1969? Demographically, those that are hurt the most are doing the best. Thank God. And that, I think, wins the day. Peace and prosperity drive elections. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800 941. Sean, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. All right, so the president says two weeks, big door, big deportation begins. I think so he's going to give him another two weeks. Do I believe him? Yes. I think the president's serious. Yes. Do I think the Democrats are? No. I don't think they ever, ever want to see Donald Trump be successful. So he will expose them yet again as saying that they want things and they don't want them. Because remember, he sat there. Offered him to offer to put Dreamers and DACA on the table and wants the wall, the same wall they were funding and paid for and praising in the second term of Obama, but never got done. And now all of a sudden they're immoral and we got to break down those walls. That's what they're saying. Um, I don't know what to make of a lot of people writing about this story about Congresswoman Omar and whether or not, you know, the. Whether, I guess it has to do with a marriage history. I just don't care about that story. Any of you care? I don't care. 
Uh, I don't care about it. I don't like what she says and doesn't get held accountable. That's what matters to me. Policy um, matters a lot more than their personal life to me. Yeah, of course. You know, saying the things she said, and again, the radical extremists led by Speaker Ocasio-Cortez, you know, they're just, they're running the show. You know, it's funny because I actually said, well, Pelosi, I think, is Speaker of name only. Hannity's advancing a conspiracy theory. He thinks that, that somehow there was a secret coup, but we just don't know about it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Speaker Pelosi is beholden to and afraid of Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. And she's capitulating to what Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez wants. And Ocasio-Cortez has a lot more influence over the Democratic Party in the House, Senate, and even the 2020 candidates than she does. So I don't see why that's even an issue. It just is what it is. Uh, All right, let's get to our busy phone. Oh, yeah, but of course, you know, she got called out I'm referring to um, the the areas where people that have entered the country illegally as concentration camps. I'm like, really? Wow. You mean like the, the concentration camps in Nazi Germany where they walk people to their death? That's what you're going to compare it to. When our government gives food, water, medicine, medical attention, supplies, takes care of the families... The president did something that neither Obama nor Bush had done as it relates to keeping families together. Just saying. Ocasio-Cortez giving illegal immigrants advice on how to evade federal law enforcement. It's it's a pretty fascinating time we live in. I will tell you that. Uh, All right. To our phones we go. Let's say hi to Scott is in Texas. Scott, hi. How are you? Welcome to the program. You know, a lot of people are going to Texas, but here's the problem. You know, and I did not know this, and I haven't checked it out, but I know Mike Huckabee, he's usually right if he says it, the former governor, and he said, if you're taking a U-Haul from California to Texas, it's 1600 bucks. If you take it from Texas back to California, he goes, you're pretty much doing U-Haul a favor, and it's only 400 bucks, and you can probably negotiate it even down from there. Um, isn't that the, the only thing I worry about is all the Californians that are coming to Texas. I just don't want them to bring the stupid policies that destroyed California with them. Is that a concern for the people of Texas? Well, it is for me. I mean, it took a long time to turn Texas back red and you have a problem now with a lot of people that leave an area that bring bad policy with them. But it's not surprising that it's cheaper to go to California than it is to rent you all to go to Texas, for sure. No, but that statistic is so revealing because, you know, I think Texas came close to getting an additional 400,000 people moving from other states to there. And California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois in particular now, they're losing population like they've never seen before. Well, it's business friendly. If you look at California crushing the or, or the energy industry and, and how it's got a redistributing program, you can't make a living there. You got to move out. There's just nothing you can do. So you got to go to another state. And Texas, at least, is friendly. So what's on your mind today? Well, I was uh, wanted to talk about the uh, Uranium One deal and how we've actually arrived at what Iran is now tied to the previous administration. And specifically, if you take a step back and look at what they did with uh, Trump and utilizing foreign entities to create narratives or get information that they could not legally do in the United States. 
and look at Uranium One. They allowed uh, all that Uranium One deal had to be approved by a cabinet and ultimately the president. When you look at the Obama administration leaving, they approved 130 tons of uranium to be sold by Russia to Iran. Remember, there was crushing sanctions. They lifted it. And then we gave them $130 billion, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere over $100 billion to pay for it. The criminal acts that are taking place from the previous administration are finally starting to bear fruit. And my only concern is I don't know if anybody's ever going to be held accountable to it other than our young men and women that are serving in the military that have to undo all this stuff. And Look, you know, uranium— is, we, we follow up on this? I, the only thing I knew is that there was some legal investigative activity ongoing in Arkansas. I don't know what the latest has come of it because we've been so wrapped up in, obviously, the, the deep state abuse of power corruption scandal. But— it's not anything that's off my radar, and it's not anything that I think we'll ever give up on because we don't have enough uranium, the foundational material of nuclear weapons. We had William Campbell uh, reporting back to our FBI. We had a spy within Putin's network inside of the United States because they wanted to get a foothold in the uranium market in this country. Um, we, we have recorded, because I interviewed William Campbell, and he told all of his bosses within the FBI and elsewhere what was going on, that Putin's network, they were involved in bribery and extortion and kickbacks and money laundering. And then, of course, you got to follow the money. And Cepheus then goes ahead and they make this approval. And 20 percent of our uranium uh, is going to uranium one. Bill Clinton tries, sets up a speech paid for by the bank in Russia involved in the uranium one deal that pays him double his speaking fee uh, while there he attempts to meet with the nuclear regulatory people of Russia. That meeting didn't happen because he got to meet with Vladimir Putin himself. Uh, was it discussed? I guarantee it was discussed. And then you look at the people involved that profited from the deal as it relates to Rosatom and uranium one. And you see, those are the very same people that kick back, the equivalent of $145 million to the Clinton Foundation. Um, now, there were others that were involved in a lot of ways, but I can tell you that it certainly, it, it makes no sense. It stinks to high heaven. The level of, quote, collusion with Putin is obvious, and the amount of money is corrupt. It doesn't past the smell test, especially having an FBI spy in that network. So, yeah, we're going to get back to it. I just, why doesn't the media care? Because the media mob only cares if Donald Trump did something wrong. If Donald Trump spit on the sidewalk, that would be far more important. If he jaywalked, it would be far more important than what I just described about uranium, the foundational material of nuclear weapons. Um, anyway, let's get to, let's see, Donna is in Staten Island, our old friend Donna. Donna, hi, how are you? And we're glad you called. Hi, how are you? I'm good. What's going on? So I want to know, I wanted to see if you've noticed this, because I noticed that the new mantra on the from the left regarding Trump, they've abandoned Russia, Russia, Russia. Now, when you ask somebody on the left, why do you hate Donald Trump? They go, he's a liar. And they go, okay, so tell me specifically. What has he lied about? And they don't have an answer. So then I usually counter with, okay, well, then let's talk about actual lies told by Obama and Hillary. And they usually reply, I don't want to talk about them. And I go, well, no, you brought up lying. 
let's talk about actual lies. Let's talk about if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, Benghazi, Fast and Furious, the IRS, and all that other stuff. And they have no defense. But apparently that is the new mantra that they have been told to skew. Because Russia, obviously, we all know, has been disproven. And it's like they all read from the same playbook. They don't even have a legitimate argument. It's just that he lied. They've got nothing except rage and hatred. And they can't believe for investigations they didn't get what they wanted. You know, and the, the real sick part of all of this, and we've been extremely vocal about it, you know, they had this broad mandate where they're supposed to really be looking into any type of Russian interference. And, okay, so they were able to identify Russian intelligence agents that, you know, Devin Nunes told us about with a certainty in 2014 would be doing what they did, and that's try to mess with our election and create chaos, uh, which didn't apparently, by every study, impact the election results. Uh, But then we have Hillary and the Ukrainians. They're willing to give us the evidence. Nobody cares. Just like nobody cares about Hillary and the violation of the Espionage Act. We, they act like they care about obstruction of justice. Trump, there's no underlying crime. Donald Trump complaining loudly that he's innocent and wishing Mueller would go away when under Article 2 legally he could get rid of Mueller, but he doesn't get rid of Mueller, or complaining about Rod Rosenstein. To me, that's what innocent people do when they're charged. Um, but yet Hillary has an underlying crime. She had subpoenaed emails. She destroyed them, deleted them. And then, you know, that would be destroying the evidence to obstruct justice. Nobody cares about that obstruction. They care about Kavanaugh in high school, the most obscene allegations. But we've got a lieutenant governor with real credible allegations of violent rape, violent sexual assault to women. Nobody there's no I believers. And, for you know, walls are immoral, except if Barack Obama is going to build them. There's no intellectual honesty. There's no consistency. It's not. It's about bludgeoning Trump now. Everything is about bludgeoning this man and destroying him. And I, again, if he cured cancer, Donna, I don't think that. And he gave every American $10 million. I don't think they'd like him then. There's nothing this guy can do that's ever going to win them over. If he cured cancer, they would turn around and complain that he put the chemotherapy industry out of business. It would be something. I am convinced, by the way, that maybe sooner than later, I really do believe this, that we are going to look back as, as having lived in the dark ages as it relates to curing cancer. We've already seen it. I lost um, my cousin Billy Kerwin when he was young. He was, oh, he was like 30 four third well, he's a new york city police officer big tall guy tough guy and he got um hodgkin's disease and now it's like a 98 percent cure rate childhood leukemia used to be a death sentence now 98 percent cure rate and i think we're going to look back on a lot of other cancers and and hopefully you know we're, we've done a lot better with breast cancer a lot better with prostate cancer, a lot better with all these cancers. But we, I think we're going to look back and say we were really in the dark ages. They're going to figure it out. I just believe that. Um, there are people that smart. But, of course, we don't encourage them to go into medicine. Just the opposite, because we're going to tell you you can only charge after you've been through four years of college, three years of medical school, uh, have a residency and an internship and get paid nothing 
And then you have all your student loans, but Bernie wants to pay them back for free. Everyone else, no. Um, and the same with Elizabeth Warren. But then, you know, then you want to open an office and then you got to, you know, even borrow more money. And then after you borrow more money, then you can only charge $20 a visit and you're never going to keep your door, doors open because the government will tell you and then insurance companies will tell you what you can and cannot charge. It's ridiculous. Uh, all right. Back to our phones saying hi to Terry is in Florida. Terry, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hi. Thank you, Sean. What's my, going on? I have a, uh, my concern is, is I saw that they had the nerve to request raises. They have no time to worry about the American people and do things to help us, but they have time enough to request a raise. Um, look, I mean, there's nobody else that I know of that gets to vote themselves the pay raise. Nobody. You know, and Ocasio-Cortez, like, you know, was trying to be a little cute by half by saying, well, I want every American to get a, a raise, uh, hourly raise or, or salary increase. I'm like, okay, but you're not voting for everyone to get a raise. You're voting for yourself to get a raise. Nobody else gets to vote for that. All right, Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern, Fox News. We are loaded up. New deep state news. We got Jay Sekulow, Mark Meadows, uh, Jim Jordan also... Yeah, we saw it over the weekend in South Carolina. We're going to see it more this week. The insanity of Democratic candidates, and it's only getting worse. All happening 9 Eastern tonight. News you won't get anywhere else on the Fox News Channel. Hope you'll join us. Hannity, Fox News. See you tonight. Back here tomorrow.